Hey babe, we got any change? Yeah, we do. I think we're gonna need it for this one. If the Bible's got you tired and fucking nuts, if you're burning with shitty religious thoughts, grab your weed and join the choir. It's the fucking heretic happy hour. You're my boy, Matt. <laughs> Oh man. oh, man. This is so great. I'm telling you, that was awesome. Uh, thank you, James, for sending that in. That was so killer. And um, I'm assuming that was your wife or maybe your daughter. I'm not sure singing with you there. Uh, yeah, this is great. And by the way, that, this is the second time we featured um, someone doing a, a new theme song for us. So if you uh, are musical and creative and want to do that, please send them in to us. But welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. I am uh, one of your co-hosts. My name is Keith Giles. I am the author of Jesus Untangled. Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb. And I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, uh, Matt and Jamal. Hey guys, say hi. Hi guys, this is Jamal Javanji. It's a pleasure to be back on the Heretic Happy Hour with you guys. And this is Matt DiStefano. Uh, so excited to be here. So excited to talk about the topic that we have coming up for you. Uh, but before we get into all that, just want to mention a word from our sponsor, as always, it's the Unfundamentalist Group blog, and they are focused on following Jesus' commandments to love God and neighbor, and they are dedicated to opposing the toxic, power-mongering, fear-inflaming nonsense, can I say bullshit, bullshit that is inherent in economic, <laughs> political, societal, and religious fundamentalism. Find them online at facebook.com forward slash unfundamentalist or read their blog at unfundamentalists.com. Yeah, and uh, that's fantastic, Matt. You're doing better and better at at reading that. Uh, I'm I'm getting I'm getting pretty good. You're ad libbing now. Yeah, you're, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, and um, yeah, I just had a. Can I, can I make an announcement, please? Um, as as always. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to let the listeners know uh, that we have a we have we actually have a hotline for oh. the Heritage Caviar. Yeah, it's just you know something that people can something we, new every episode. Great. Something yeah, new. it's like a, just an idea we had that allows the listeners to interact with us, maybe share some comments or questions or disagreements or whatever. And we just felt like, wow, this would be a great idea to introduce this to our listeners. So uh, brand new this week, we would like to roll this out. Um, <laughs> the hotline, the number is uh, 2403HERESY, um, or um, it's 240 Seven nine, and uh, we we can receive text messages um, as well oh. to this hotline. We can, yeah. It's like <clears throat> this technology is advancing every day. So, like, we can um, we, we can spinning. we can get text. I know it's crazy. Um, <laughs> what's next? What's going to be next? You know. So we have we have text messages that can come in. We also have voicemails, and we have we've been getting a lot of love on the on the hotline, which is to me a miracle, um, just because. I'm just surprised anybody knows about it. So, right. um, but yeah, we've been getting a lot of love recently on the on the Heretic uh, Happy Hour Hotline. So, uh, a text came in. Can we queue up that text? Awesome, awesome. Here we go. Quote: We just listened to the Heretic Happy Hour episode 16 with Bart Ehrman. Thanks so much for providing a space where an authentic other can speak in a non-confrontational setting. And thanks for modeling that ethos amongst yourselves in your discussion that followed. How refreshing to be able to get information rather than indoctrination. We listen, mm. we listen to these mm. Heretic Happy Hour podcast over and over. Thanks for the wide range of heretics you allow us to come to know. 
And that's unquote. And that's, that's from a listener. Um, really, really appreciated that. That was super encouraging. Um, really, we, we, yeah, our goal is not, well, I would say your guys' goal is not to indoctrinate. I mean, sometimes I have that agenda, <laughs> but <laughs> obviously, you know, um, I'm, what, yeah. When it, when it comes to Mary Magdalene. <laughs> hey, by the way, Mary Magdalene, did you guys know there's a movie coming out about Mary Magdalene? Like, can you, is that incredible? Like the timing of all That's, that? Like, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's are, you coming. In, are you in that movie? Um, You're not in I, that? I, I actually wrote and directed it, but um, uh-huh. I'm just kidding. But you're camping out. You're camping out, right? <laughs> right now you're recording from the line. Oh, in yeah. front of the theater, I got a, I got a ten, but I do think it, I do think it is coming out at the end of the month. By the way, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, and okay, so we have a couple of voicemails uh, to mm. the to the hotline. Can we queue up voicemail number one? Hey guys, uh, this is Steve. I'm uh, from Ohio. Uh, yeah. Generally, I would have considered myself a conservative. Um, but you guys have really stretched my mind. I mean, and to think that it's coming from a hippie and a pothead on top of that, I think is really freaking awesome. I don't um, necessarily agree with 100% of everything you guys say, but you guys are really stretching my mind and in a good way. Um, my, I have really had to change a lot of ideas on what I thought was right and wrong and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I know that's not even necessarily what it's about. But, hey, you guys are doing good shit, and um, I'm really surprised at uh, the things you guys are bringing out, um, and it's uh, really my type of um, podcast that I like to listen to. So thanks a lot, guys. Wow, super cool. Super cool. And, man, yeah, Buckeyes from Ohio. Buckeyes taking over the world. I really love that. Um, yeah, I'm, um, I am I know that when he says he doesn't agree with everything, he's probably talking about you guys. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. But that's it's probably yeah yeah. But uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate I that. Uh, you know, we, we do appreciate the comment from from the caller and um, and so let's queue. We have another one coming in, so let's uh, queue up voicemail number two. Hey, one of my friends turned me on to your show, and I really really like it. Um, but I was just wondering, what's the phone number for the hotline? Keep doing good work. <laughs> good wow. Question. See what I'm talking about, guys? <laughs> this is my point. This is my point. Yeah, and it's a miracle are, that he found yeah, that he actually don't left know. that voicemail on the hotline. I know. Well, I'm glad he did. <laughs> so he called it, left the voicemail, and then asked for the number. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, okay. Um, just we really don't want to just disregard anybody's comment. And just read, you know. So I would just like to like honor this caller and just say, okay, thank you for calling. Thank you for that question. That's a question that many of us mm-hmm. have. Let me just let me answer that question again. Here, the number to the Heretic Happy Hour Hotline. Are, are you guys ready? Yeah, I got my pen. Uh, get your chalk out. <laughs> your chalk. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> two. two, <laughs> two <laughs> so okay, it's it, here. It is. It's two four zero. Three four three seven three seven nine. So two four zero three four three seven three seven nine, or two four two four zero three heresy. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> wow, you know what? Th- that was a lot of fun. I'm, I think it's been my my favorite uh, episode of the uh, the hotline we've ever done. That was awesome. But it's time now for yet another awesome part of the podcast, and that is the heretic. Of the week. It's the heretic of the week. Hi, I'm Matthew, and I'm a heretic. Hi, Matthew. Hey, guys, (laughs) thanks for having me on. (laughs) Well, welcome to the program. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Um, It's it's an honor to have you here on the show, and uh, 
just because you, you, you may not know, typically what we do when people are, when we have our heretics of the week on the program, we like to ask them uh, kind of an opening question, which is, um, why is it that people consider you a heretic, Matt? Oh my goodness. Uh, how many reasons do I have to give? Um, <laughs> uh, well, I, we, we have a lot, we have all day. We, have, <laughs> we got nothing going on. All right. Give me a couple we have, hours. We have an hour. <laughs> we have an hour. Um, well, there's, there's, I guess there's a lot of reasons. Um, I, I, as I've said on the show, I'm, I'm pretty convinced of universal reconciliation or, or universalism. Heresy. And I'm just going to wait for the heresy button right there because even the mention of universalism generally gets the charge of heresy. Yeah. Um, but uh, so that that's one reason I, I do affirm the LGBTQ community and believe that we should definitely open open up our arms and embrace embrace those folks into the church at large. Um, the way I, the way I approach the Bible has has gotten charged of heresy. Um, I don't believe it's inerrant. Uh, you know, I don't believe everything that's said in the Bible is an accurate depiction of who God actually is. Um, but a big one is, uh, as we talked about even before this show started, before we had this podcast, when we did that thing on penal substitution atonement, um, that, mm-hmm. that, defi- that definitely gets charges of heresy a lot because, you know, like we interviewed Brad Jerzak, he mentioned the same thing. Uh, a lot of people conflate their atonement theory with the gospel. Uh, and because yeah. I don't, I don't affirm that, uh, the cross, uh, <laughs> turned God away from punishing the, the shit out of us because he did it to Jesus. I don't think, I don't think that's a, an accurate view of the cross. That's, that's led to some charges of heresy. Uh, so that, those are probably the main ones. Uh, but there's probably some others. Yeah. But, uh, I think that gives us enough, enough, uh, enough reasons to call me a heretic but the but the funny thing is is i don't don't necessarily think in historically speaking that i am because you know i read the early creeds and i I really don't have too much of a problem with them i i like the apostles creed i like uh, the nicene creed and and i think those are fine and um so if if that's our if that's our uh the basis of what we're going to call heretical doctrines i I don't know. I don't really understand why I'm a heretic. And, and if that's our, if that's our, uh, you know, how we're using, what we're using to define the word. And if, and if the word is to mean like that, a, a brother or sister in the faith who's divisive, I, I don't think my views um, cause division because, well, I mean, they do, they can cause division, but um, I'm not being divisive because I, I'm not certain about my beliefs I, I i'm convinced but i'm not certain and it's cool if you disagree and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna kick you out of the off out of the table out of the meal so to speak you know i'm not gonna kick you out of my quote-unquote church yeah. if i had one um and it's it's totally cool if you disagree with me and 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 like we talk about all the time like us the three of us don't agree all the time we come we come and sit around the the, the proverbia table and have a conversation and so I'm not really sure why I'm actually a heretic in terms of the, if, if we're thinking about the actual use of the word. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, Matt, it's been, I've had um, the pleasure of interviewing you on my personal podcast, the Lovecast, a couple of times. And we just had an episode the other day. It's cool to hear some of your background, you know, um, just background of your life and your story. Um, but for just for our conversation here on the Heretic Happy Hour, um, my, I guess the question I would have for you is, do you remember the first time 
that you like became conscious of like feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm, I've just crossed a line here and you were okay with that. Because one of the things I think I'm trying, I was thinking about you and I was like, what is it that people, why do people react to you? You know, cause we all get reactions just because of the work that we do. <clears throat> Sometimes, you know, from the religious sure. community, we get reactions, but I was thinking about like one of the reasons I feel like, and I could be wrong here, but that people like uh, are challenged by you is because um, like you're very open about like you, you give voice to things that um, that maybe people maybe wouldn't know how to give voice to, or they may be afraid to give voice to like, you're very clear. You communicate very clear and confidently about like the process, your study. You're not like, you know, I mean, you do, you do do the research, you do the work, you've studied those kinds of things. And I think that can be unnerving to a lot of uh, indoctrinated religious people, because again, those folks, a lot of those folks, and I know because I, I came out of that camp are told certain things that give them a sense of certainty. Um, but they don't, they haven't really done the work themselves mm. to like really look into it because that's a scary place to go because that mean they may mean, you know, something they may mean what they're told isn't, isn't legit, but I feel like you've done that work and it can unnerve. But do you remember the first time that you gave voice to that? Like, like that's this may, this, this stuff I've like received in, in evangelical Christianity is, is I really am starting to question that. Do you remember what that was like for you? Well, yeah, if I'm interpreting your question correctly, I I, I, uh, I would say that the first time I, I came across something where I really gravitated towards, I was like, yes, that seems like a legit question. Um, the a philosopher Thomas Talbot posed this question that if, if we just look at the Bible on the surface, there are passages that seem to suggest God wants to save all people. There are passages that seem to suggest that God has the power to save all people, and there are passages that seem to suggest some people are lost. And, and he points out in this triad, as it's known, that all three can't right. be true. Um, if, God, if God has the power to save and desires to save all, then he will. Um, or, you know, so, so if, if some people are going to be lost, then either God cannot save all people or he doesn't desire to. Um, so. Yeah, I remember coming across that and really having no answer because he, and this isn't a way to go about and piecemeal the Bible and just pick things, but I think what he wants us to get us to do is think about these things that, yes, on the surface, if we're just taking a, a, a like a, a surface reading of the texts, all those things are there and we kind of have to pick one. Either God doesn't really desire to save everyone or God is powerless to, to save everyone, even though he desires it. Um, or all people are redeemed and reconciled. And I remember posing this to a, a senior pastor of mine, and his response was a, a, a text from Titus that basically said I was self-condemned for asking these, these types of questions. And I was just like, wow, I'm condemned because this resonates with me? Mm-hmm. Or this line of thinking resonates with me, and and I'm condemned, I guess, to hell for for posing that question. That's the way I interpreted it, and so I, I I was really excited about it because I was like, well, maybe maybe the Bible does argue that all will be saved, um, you know, and that's good news to me, and and it really resonated in my heart. But then to immediately just come up, not not that oh, you're just misreading it or. But you're just misinterpreting it, but you're really, you're literally condemned for asking this. I was just like, holy shit, like this, this might, this is going to be a little, 
this is going to be pretty rough and things might get a little rocky. And that was just like, I've just got to, you know, start digging in myself and, and find what, what rings true to me. And, um, yeah, that, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. So you're saying there's a passage in Titus that was used against you. Did somebody use that against you to say, uh, by you even answer, asking these questions, you're doomed. Um, was that, was that a passage someone like presented to you or is that something you read on your own or what was that? No, it, no, I, I was really just um, in an email I was sent and I, and I think it's either Titus two or three, I can't remember, but yeah, it, it, his point was basically that, yeah, for, for those who ask these kind of questions, and I guess he probably deemed it as a divisive question and therefore heretical, <laughs> mm. um, that, that, yeah, I was, I was doomed for even daring to suggest such a yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that was really that was really striking to me. Wow. Yeah, but see, I think uh, you know. So I, I, I've had very similar uh, reactions as well from friends who are pastors as well for asking those kind of questions. And so when the response is something where they push back with either a threat uh, or they want to put fear in your heart, right, or have some kind of threat against you that you, how dare you question this? How dare you ask this question? You're, you know, you're going down this bad path. Like, um. So you do understand, I mean, this is what I've, uh, I've started to notice. I'm going to ask you what you think about this because, um, I mean, do, but you can't put yourself in the mind or in the position of that pastor, right? And see why those questions are a threat to him. I mean, do you understand why they're a threat to him and, and, uh, why they react that way? Yeah, I, I do understand. I, I get that, um, when those questions are presented to us, like our, our whole paradigm can sort of come down. like. You know, if, if we're, if, if, if in our mind we're preaching the gospel to save people from eternal torment and someone comes up to us and says, well, I don't, I don't think anyone's going to be. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, there's, but there, if someone says there's no eternal torment, now what? Right. Now what? Now, now you've basically undercut my whole ministry, my whole, my job, um, my, uh, the church that I'm leading. Um, I, I, I get it. Um. I just, I just, I, I, I don't have any, any um, desire to do any of that. I'm just asking honest questions that are in my heart. But yeah, to the point of your question, of course, I understand where they're coming from. I just wish it weren't so. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wish we didn't have to have that visceral response where, uh, and this will probably be something we talk about in the podcast with the, with the topic that we have. But uh, when we're, when we're just so damn certain about something and, and someone comes to challenge that, it's like, when we base when we base our faith on certainty, uh, I think we have some problems because the minute we're not certain about something, then it seems like our whole our whole faith paradigm comes down. And uh, yeah, so I, I would look at that pastor and think like, well, yeah, he probably is very certain about his beliefs. So yeah, that, that <laughs> I just think we set ourselves up for failure, yeah. you know. Well, I, and here's the thing too mm. is that I I, yeah. I know some of these people too because I know they listen to our podcast uh because i've talked to some of them but um it's even more challenging when you are the pastor of the church and you yourself are having these questions and then you now you're left with what do i do about it right because i know there's some guys like that and like i said some of them listen to our podcast and they're stuck right Mm. so what do they do Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and i and i just had coffee with one who is like i don't know how how much longer you could do this because it's like it's almost dishonest because I have all these questions and I don't line up with uh, how the board wants me to preach yep. or what they want me to believe and think. And, and, and I don't believe that anymore. So what am I supposed to do? Because at the end of the day, 
the bills to keep coming, the mortgage has to be paid. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so I get that. I mean, I mean, and that's not to, that's not to say someone's dishonest. That's just the reality of life. Like if, if I walk away from something that pays my bills, well, what the hell am I going to do now? Right. Yeah. Well, Matt, <clears throat> Matt, I, I mean, I would say, yeah, I, I think the more, the longer I go down this road and the more that I look back, even in my own life within evangelical Christianity, or I look at the system of for the most part, the Christian world, it's so dishonest because if you have to appeal to fear to keep people from asking questions, um, the very fact that you had a question is not being addressed. It's like, well, what does that drive? You know, and if you have to demonize the motivation behind it, that's completely dishonest. And so it does these pastors and a lot of folks who are conflicted, they're in churches, they're sitting each Sunday, they're listening to these sermons. They know that you know, behind the scenes, like um, a lot of, even though the, sometimes the messages may sound good, what's coming behind it is literally an appeal to fear. Hey, you could be on the outside. You may lose your salvation. You may end up perishing. People you love may, you know, be lost forever if you don't proclaim this message. You know, that isn't a, that is, that's very, it's an effective, but at the end of the day, when people are conflicted with that, when they actually start to question that, and then they have to like drown out those questions to just keep the appearance. To me, that is the epitome of dishonesty. And I don't think maybe it's not conscious on their part, but it's, it's clearly not honest. Um, because if they were honest, they could just share what they were, the questions they had. But for you, you had to like literally take a passage of scripture that was presented to you and you had to like, which I applaud you for it. I really, my hat goes off to you. The fact that you had to say, you know what, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ignore that passage. Um, and I'm going to push through. I don't know if you would clarify like, well, I'm just ignoring this passage, but I would ignore it. I mean, I think that passage, uh, in Titus is, you know, uh, it's, it's used to keep people from asking questions. So the, you know, it's, 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 mm-hmm. For you to like move forward in your deconstruction process, you had to literally overlook that. And I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with that. So I applaud you for that courage because it takes real courage to do that. But for you, what was your deconstruction process like for you? Like what was that when you started to deconstruct and push beyond that? What, how did that, how did that affect you? Uh, it was, it was really, really difficult. Um, I, I had a really big problem with the depictions of a violent God. And I looked around the world and I was like, Man, human beings are so, we could be so shitty, we don't need that God. Um, And so it was like, well, maybe there isn't a God. Because if God, if this thing we call God is a reality and and God is just like us, he's retributive, he's violent, he's sacrificial, he's uh, um, all those uh, (laughs) full Mm. of malice, which which some people's theology may, makes it seem to believe that, you know, if that's true, then God is full of malice and anger and hate. Well, may, forget the whole thing. Like, I, I don't need, I don't need that God. And uh, we, we don't need that God. We're, we're, we're capable of all those things on our own. So um, I did, I did have a, a spell with atheism just because that would, I, I conflated God and theology and all those theological claims I thought were God. And so I was just like, well, let's just chuck out the baby with the bathwater. Um, and then I came across some writers, uh, you know, Rene Girard, Brian Zond, Michael Harden, um, folks like that, who I was like, wow, I haven't thought about this, this sort of thing in, in, a, in, a, in this way. I haven't heard people talk about non, a nonviolent God. That seemed absurd in my mind because God was just violent, full stop, end of story, don't ask questions, because yep. the Bible says. Um, 
And so it was really rocky to come out of that. The Bible says God is violent, blah, 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 all, we, all the things we say, and then, and then just move past that. So that, that was tough for me because atheism, when I, when I concluded, I wasn't a strong atheist, but it was almost just as uncomfortable because it was just, I didn't want to accept that as, as the, uh, um, well, there is no God, and I was, and I, but I did conclude it for a second. And but my something in my heart or my soul um, just wasn't quite like ah yeah that's true, and and so I just kept pushing through. I kept studying. I and then I came across these authors that I mentioned, and I was like, okay, maybe maybe God's nonviolent. Maybe the cross should be viewed nonviolently. As absurd as that um, as that sounds initially, because obviously the cross is a very violent act. Um, but I heard these atonement theories that were more nonviolent, uh, that were non-sacrificial in the traditional way we think of sacrificing to the gods mm -hmm. so that they don't smite us. Um, and, but that's where I almost think if I would have stayed in atheism, I wouldn't have gotten so much pushback. I would have just been like, oh, poor Matt, he's an atheist. <laughs> it was when I, it was when I came back and was like, oh, let me tell you about the gospel or Jesus or non-sacrificial atonement or the reconciliation of all things as the writer of luke acts says well that's when shit hit the fan <laughs> you yeah. know it was like well now now you're in now you're in some muddy water matt um it, it, i almost feel and I, I i don't remember who i was reading but uh maybe it was sharon, it was sharon baker in, in the documentary hellbound and she was talking to one of her students and the student said it's as it would have been better if I stayed an atheist than moved on to this different view of God. It would have been easier um, interpersonally with with the religious folks, with her, with her church, I, I, with her family. And I kind of I kind of get some of that. Like I feel like yeah, that that might have been true. Um, it's when it's when we go back and then have something to say about the gospel that uh, or the Bible or anything that doesn't line up. Um, with where we came from, that's when I feel like that's when you get into some really, really, uh, you have some problems with your, with your family, with your friends, with your former church. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that was a very difficult process for me, but you know, you push through and you just feel like, well, the gospel is the gospel and I'm going to preach the gospel. And if things get a little murky, then that's, yeah. That's what happens, and that's that's okay. But it takes a while to get through that place where you're not angry and bitter, and you're like, okay, it's okay that people aren't with me mm -hmm. here. It's okay that 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 um, that I'm getting called all the things that I get called for having this different view, and and we'll make it through. Yeah, Matt, can I just want to say this real quick? Um, that what you just said, it's okay if people aren't with mm -hmm. me. Like that statement. Gosh, I really wish I could like shout that from the rooftops because i think people are going through this process the most painful thing one of the most painful things to experience is when people you know and love aren't with you anymore and mm. and that's that's a real that's that's real you feel that but it's okay i just think you know for people who are listening it's like it's okay if people aren't with you in this process it's really okay because you're not alone that's such a huge point yeah I right. agree. Yeah. And you know, when you were talking, Matt, about how when you kind of kind of spent some time in the wilderness of, of atheism for a while, and then there were certain authors, right, that and then there was a handful of people like Zahn, Gerard and Hardin and people like that, that helped kind of pull you back. And I, I was thinking like, you know, it's kind of too bad that, you know, it's a shame that no one could write like maybe one book 
that kind of included like, you know, maybe each chapter would deal with each of those kind of important things that maybe there'd be one book you could give to somebody who was in a similar place <laughs> that would really address all of those things instead of having to give them a stack of books, you know? Um, what do you think about that? <laughs> I think it's a great idea, Keith. You're going to write that somebody book? Somebody should, if, if, <laughs> if, uh, if not. I mean, someone should. But I think maybe you, yeah, you might know about one, a book like that. Yeah, and someone should release it on April Fool's Day and Easter, <laughs> that right? That would be genius. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, you, yeah, you sneaky bastard. So, um, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a book that I did write, which does do that, or attempts to, I hope it does. Um, yeah, and I called it heretic with an exclamation point. Uh, <laughs> I think that's my, that's my favorite sound. Bite. <laughs> yeah, Matt, are you making, you're making an announcement right now, right? Yeah, I, I have. Yes, I have a book out. It came out uh, two days ago on on April Fool's Day. Not a not a joke. Yep. Uh, and Easter, so it came out this Sunday. It's called Heretic out on Choir Publishing. And yeah, I I took ten questions that I think are are on the hearts and minds of any Christians wrestling with their faith and wrestling with doctrine. Um, so you know things like atonement and LGBT and um, universalism and free will and and the end times. Which oh yeah, you know I mean that's that just as you said in in one of our previous shows, Keith, that seems to be the money maker. Like everyone wants to talk oh, yeah. about the end that's, times. That's where the so money is. I include, oh. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of money, um, because one of one of the one of the folks that I've come across with said something to the effect of, "I hope you don't get paid for this." Yes. <laughs> um, Ralph Ralph of Choir Publishing and our producer of this show thought it would be a great idea to donate all the proceeds from the first month's royalties. Um, to a charity. And Keith, I appreciate you coming up with the preemptive love coalition because I absolutely love yeah. what they do. So all of the royalties from the month of April, whether it's Kindle, which will be 99 cents. So you, I mean, you got a dollar by the book um, because the money's going to go to the preemptive love coalition. And what they do is they help families uh, in, in war torn areas like Syria uh, they help those those folks, the the unlovable. You know, that's that's their thing. The the people who aren't going to be loved, we're going to love them, and I just love that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then so the and also the soft cover books, the royalties are going to go. And uh, <laughs> jokingly, I hope I don't sell ten thousand books because I'm going to kick myself. <laughs> but that would be, be wonderful. Amazing, I'd be, it'd be I'd an be amazing stoked. blessing for Preemptive Love Coalition. Yes, it would be. Yeah, <laughs> but selfishly, I'd be like, <laughs> God dang it. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, um, I'm super excited about this book. I, I think it's uh, it's short. It's to the point. It's succinct. And if you don't agree, that's cool. But if you're wrestling with these things and you want to hear a voice um, talk about these ideas, then pick up the book. Uh, I think it's good. Yeah. I've heard good feedback. Uh, I got a great initial review from an atheist who actually liked it. So um, yeah, yeah. I'll <laughs> I, say I think I'll say cool. I've read it and it is. I think it's great. And I do recommend people read the book. It's really awesome. And it is like I think a it's a great thing to have because you do you do deal with I think all the major uh, objections and themes and questions that people have, and you do in a in a very artful, you know, intelligent, well written way, well thought well thought out way. So yeah, I would totally recommend the book. Well, thank you. And I think people who you know make it a habit to attend church services on Sunday morning, you know, maybe like to get dressed up, um, like, you know, people who are just uh, maybe people who've graduated from seminary, um, people who are really upset with people like Rob Bell or other folks who are challenging, you know, uh, 
conservative thought processes. I think that this would make a good book for them, maybe a gift, a Christmas present, um, birthday present, something like that for them. What do you think? What do you think about that? Yeah, that's a great, great idea. Yeah, the more <laughs> the more books I can sell, the better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm just kind of kidding about that. Oh. I say bring it on. Mother's Day it's a great Mother's Day gift. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's fine. Grandparents, free grandparents. <laughs> but I, I, I will say, like, I do cuss in it, so don't give it to your kids because that would have, you know. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not bedtime story reading for your children. Yeah. No. Unless does you're progressive. Have, does it have an explicit label on the front cover, though? It does. So, you know, uh, it is what it is. Yep. <laughs> people love that. People love that, especially about even our podcast. You know, it's one of their favorite things about us that we, uh, that we do that. Um, some people do anyway. Some but hey, people. I think it's time for us to uh, thank you, Matt. Thanks for thanks for being our heretic of the week. I think it's time for us to transition to our main topic um, for the podcast. We're about halfway in here, and um, so our topic that, for this podcast that we what we wanted to talk about was this idea of we're kind of playing around with different different ways. What do we call it? But it's essentially like um, trust versus certainty, or the you know embracing mystery versus you know being right, and how important it is to be right. And that seems to be something I think that I see is a big problem with a lot of uh, Christians that I run into today is that um, they seem so certain of their beliefs. And I think that's part of why they, you know, people like us get a lot of pushback because we're, we're good at poking holes in things or at least asking questions and uh, wanting people to not be so certain about everything, but to say, well, but what about this? And, but what about that? And uh, so there's a tension there, right? Between, um, faith as being certain of something or faith as being sort of loosely convinced of something, but leaving room that you could be wrong, right? So like we hear all the time that the opposite of faith uh, is not doubt, that the opposite of faith is certainty. And I think for me, that's where I I land. Um, so I don't know what you guys think about this topic and how you want to, where should we go from here? Well, I, yeah, I think that's absolutely, that's absolutely true. The opposite of faith is not doubt. Um, so for instance, I'm certain that two plus two equals four. I need no faith in that. I mean, it, right. you know, so, <laughs> but if we, if we approach our, our faith like an equation or like we're just certain about it, it leaves no room for growth. It leaves no room for what the spirit is, is speaking to you now. Um, it leaves no, no room for changing something that, um, you know, the, the word repent is metanoia in Greek. It means to change one's mind. If you're already certain, how can you change one's mind? Right. Yeah, that's right. And, and just looking at my own life, you know, I mean, I've changed my, my mind so many times and I've met so many Christians who have come from this and that camp and moved to a different one and changed. And it's like, well, why do you think you're certain now? You already changed before. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I think I, I, in, in 50 years, if I'm still around, Two plus two, I'm still going to be certain is four. But I, I'm, what I am certain about of my faith is that I'll probably change. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and I think, uh, and I agree with you, man. I'm totally there. I mean, I think um, in the last, you know, 10 or 11 years of, of my spiritual uh, experience, yeah, I've, I've started to really embrace the fact that I myself <clears throat> am in process with my faith. And, um, and I, you know, I recognize that there are things I believe now that I didn't believe, you know, five, 10 years ago. And, and then my assumption is, is that, um, I hope anyway, honestly, this is my hope that, that I don't get, like, I don't want the cement to dry on anything. I want to be open 
to any question or any idea or any thought, not in a sense that, oh, I'm just blown this way and that, and I'm just like willy-nilly, like someone accused us of uh, recently. Uh, like, oh, I just don't know what right. I believe, and oh, anything is open, and oh, that's, oh, let's just chase this little butterfly for a while. Uh, it's not that. It's, it's just recognizing that I can be wrong about something, or maybe everything. And, um, and like you said earlier, you know, I'm fairly certain of the things I believe, and here's, and here's the deal. If I wasn't, I wouldn't believe them. Like everyone believes what they believe because, oh, I, I think so anyway, maybe, maybe that isn't true. But, but I think you should believe what you believe because you have tested it and thought it through and considered it. And, and, and this is key as well. Listen to people who don't agree with you. Read books by people who disagree with you. Listen to podcasts or messages by people who don't necessarily agree with you. Um, and I think that's so important, you know, to recognize that you, we all have something to learn. And if we do recognize that we're in process, then what, what it should do is give us grace for other people who are also in process. So like if I'm, if I'm really comfortable with the fact that my own faith journey has been a process and I'm still going on a journey, I'm still on a process, then if I encounter somebody who disagrees with me, uh, and this happens a lot, uh, and they believe something that I used to believe five years ago, uh, what I should do is have grace for that person and say, yeah, I know exactly why you believe that. I totally, I used to believe the exact same thing. So I should have grace for that person and, 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 you know, love that person for who they are and not judge them for their quote unquote wrong beliefs. It's not a wrong belief. It's just different than mine. Um, and so, you know, if we can maintain that sort of holding loosely to our certainty and holding loosely to our quote unquote beliefs, um, then it should give us, and I think that's what we're trying to model even in this podcast, is that we don't agree on everything. We're open to having guests on that we don't agree with. We're open to talking and dialoguing with each other on things we don't agree with. Um, but the reason why is that we assume we have things to learn. Uh, more so than I have something to teach you, sit down, shut up, and listen to me, right? Which is taking a much different posture. <laughs> right, right. And I just think it's beautiful, Keith, that you admitted at our live show. You're like, I find myself agreeing more and more with Jamal. <laughs> yeah. What? Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Well, well, I love what you guys are saying. It's, it's awesome. I, I so I agree with everything. I, I kind of want to problematize this for a second here, if I could. Hey, that's mine. That's mine. <laughs> well, well, let's. For those of you playing at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, let's switch the roles up. You can talk about Mary, and I'll talk about problem problem. Okay. <laughs> Well, but, but in all seriousness, I, I feel like this is an interesting topic because I've, I've been thinking about it, like, um, obviously coming out of a religious context, you know, you know, evangelical Christianity. I mean, it's all about being certain about what you believe and knowing the right information, having the right doctrines and creeds and all that kind of thing. So you can be quote unquote orthodox and not heretical or, you know, how it's typically used. So I, I, I understand that, but so, so there's a, the pushback against that is like, Hey, well, you know, if you're if if you need a certain set of beliefs and uh, statements to like hang your f entire worldview on, then that's that's a pretty that's a shaky, very shallow place, and it's just not honest because again, you can't ask questions because if you ask questions of that, then you're not certain. The reason I think certainty is such a big deal 
because certainty actually is legitimate in some ways. So it's, I, I subscribe to, and I've, you know, this is again, a whole other topic, but I I'm a firm believer that all human beings have the same essential needs. Um, and one of those needs is certainty. All people have to feel certain. If you don't feel certain, then it's really hard to function and live life. Like at, at a very basic primal level, you have to feel certain about something. And this is a human psychological need. It's been demonstrated, documented, proven in many different studies. So, um, I really believe that when people who gravitate towards dogmatic religion are people who tend to have come from, you know, again, this is a broad, this is a, this is a, you know, kind of a broad brush to paint everybody. So not everybody fits this mold, but a lot of times, and I can speak for myself, when you feel uncertain in life, this is a huge attraction is to get sucked into um, a system of belief that gives you an illusion of certainty. Again, it's an illusion. It's not real, but that's why it's so strong. But my question is, can you, can you be certain about some things? And, and the reason I ask that question, because I do believe it's important to be certain, but if you're basing your certainty on information and doctrine, I don't think you can be certain. But however, one of the things I'm really impressed with Jesus is when I look at Jesus, when I read the gospels and I see him teaching, he's pretty certain. Like he comes across pretty certain and actually he would teach with authority and um, a lot of the religious, reader, religious leaders were unnerved by that because he taught with somebody with authority. I, I think even an authority that went beyond their certainty in their doctrinal stances. So because his certainty, I think, was not coming from ideas. It wasn't yeah. coming from theological presuppositions or statements or you know constructs that were crafted together by theologians. I think his certainty was coming from the heart. And so, for example... Um, and I heard I heard a presidential candidate say this during the election, and they they said, "Hey, do you how do you make decisions? Do you use the Bible?" It was they're trying to beat this this candidate? So, do you use the Bible to inform your decision making process? And this guy was like, "No," and it was kind of shocking. He's like, "No," he's like, "I respect the Bible. I like to read the Bible." He's like, "But you know, I love my neighbors and I love my family." He's like, "Do I need the did I need the Bible to tell me to love my wife?" Like, I really have to like, and so like, he was pretty certain in the sense, yeah, I love my, my neighbors. I love my wife. I love my family, you know? And I was thinking about that and it's like, I'm pretty certain. Like one of the things I don't hear Jesus saying is, Hey guys, I think, I think my father is loving. (laughs) I could be wrong about that, but I think he may be loving. Like you don't, Mm -hmm. you don't hear him saying that. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's very certain. This is how God is. And it's because he's, it's not coming from a doctrinal place that we're we're so used to in the religious world. And like, I, I feel the same way. Like I'm very certain for me, like for me personally, and again, I'm not like trying to teach this as a doctrine, but I am very certain that the doctrine of eternal conscious torment or annihilationism, this is just my where I'm standing. I am very certain that that's all hogwash because of what I know, but not from a doctrinal place, just because of what I, what I've come to know about this, the understanding of love and the way love is. I'm, I'm fairly certain, very certain that death is not real. Um, I don't need, like, I'm very certain in how I love um, the people that are in my life and my family. And like, I, I understand that at a level of certainty. So that's a question. I guess that's just something I want to put out there and to say, when can you be certain? And can you be certain when it's coming from the heart versus the mind? Yeah, uh, I was, as you were talking about that, I, I had a, uh, a thought, you know, there's the verse that in the Bible that says, I, I can't remember where it's from, I think it's in Timothy or something, but it says, uh, faith is the evidence of things not seen. And what I think is interesting about that statement is, is that so faith is about things you don't see, right? 
And and so faith is the evidence of things that you don't see. So so ultimately, faith is about evaluating the evidence, which is what we're doing. We're trying to say, okay, well, we have a certain belief based on we had this certain evidence, but now here's here's different evidence. And so let's evaluate this evidence. And then the problem is we get attacked because how dare you bring some new evidence that challenges my conclusion. But see, the faith is not about the conclusion. Faith is about the evaluation of the evidence. And um, so anyway, I just thought that was interesting. I, I, think, I think if we can keep it in that place of like, we don't know everything and we are just evaluating what we believe is the best evidence of something. Um, and that's what our faith is built on. But I, I love what you said, Jamal. I want to answer your question because I, I agree with you on that whole thing about cer- what can we be certain about? And I remember, um, for those of you playing the the bingo game at home, this is uh, this is going to be a drinker. Uh, take a drink here because I'm going to mention our house church. That um, we were in our house God. church about yeah about yeah. a I guess about a year or so ago, and one of the young ladies in our group was going through some doubts about her faith and sharing just really very honestly some doubts and and just even asked you know she just asked to the group you know like what is real and what what do I know and what do I believe in? And I, and all I could really respond in that sense was to say, you know, I think the only thing I can say for myself with any certainty is when it comes to God, it, that I know, that I, that I think I know is that God is good and he loves me. And beyond that, I don't know that I could say I'm certain about really anything. Uh, but I'm, but I, I have to hold everything like to me, everything starts there. I believe that God is good and he loves me. And then everything else is uh, evidence <laughs> and discussion, you know? Yeah. Um, to answer your question, Jamal, I think I would problematize your problematization. <laughs> <laughs> is that a double shot? A double shot. Um, and, and, and maybe differentiate between being convinced and being certain. Um, so I can be very convinced that my wife loves me, but I don't, I don't know. Can you, can you be certain about that? There's this Alan Watts quote and I've got, I've got it on our notes here, but I'll just read the, 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 the second part of it. Um, the moment you take a journey, what an act of faith. The moment that you enter into any kind of human undertaking and relationship, what an act of faith. See, you've given yourself up, but this is the most powerful thing that can be done. Surrender. See, and an act, and love is an act of surrender to another person. Total abandonment. I give myself, take me, do anything you like. So that, so that's quite mad because you see it's letting things get out of control. So actually, therefore, the course of wisdom, the, the course of wisdom, what is really sensible is to let go, is to commit oneself, to give oneself up, and that's quite mad. So we come to the strange conclusion that in madness lies sanity. Mm. And, and I like that quote because it's almost, yeah, it, it seems paradoxical. Like, I, I don't know if I can be convinced of love, but I'm, I mean, certain about love, but I'm very, very convinced about it. Mm-hmm. And in this process of loving, we let go of holding on to things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so maybe that doesn't answer your question that great because it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to differentiate between certainty and being convinced in my mind, because if I, yeah, if I am certain about anything, it's that my wife loves me and my daughter loves me and I love them, but I'm not even... I don't know if it's necessarily certainty in, in terms of like some sort of logical conclusion. It's, it's more of, yeah. a, of a different kind of knowing. 
Um, it's it's experiencing love and and being very very convinced about that as a real experience. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with that. I think it's a different kind of knowing. I love how you you said that, and I would like it's not a knowing that comes from a propositional or a logical you know construct. Right, it's right. it's a knowing from a, a whole different place. Like for example, I I remember um, I was at a book signing by William Paul Young, the author of The Shack, one time, and basically. <laughs> Yeah, and basically he was talking about this guy who came to his book sign and he was like, and he, what he was saying was, uh, he said, you know, uh, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in, I don't have faith in, in your God. I don't believe in your, the gospel that you present uh, in the book. He said, but I just want, just from a literary standpoint, I thought what you wrote was very well written. It was captivating. Like it's the first Christian book I've, I've read um, in that sense. And I just, he's like, I really, really enjoyed it. And just wanted to let you know, and I felt like I needed to come to this, this book signing and just let you know how, how good of a writer you are and how, and just well done. That's great work. And he said, Oh, that's great. You know, I'm glad you came and thanks for letting me know. He's like, but um, yeah, I'm just curious about like what you believe in. And he's like, well, I'm not, I'm an atheist. so I don't have a faith. I don't believe, you know, um, in God and that kind of thing. He's just like, I, I understand that. He said, but what, what are you, what do you know? Like, what is it that you have absolute confidence in and faith in? And this guy was like, nothing. Like I'm an atheist. I told you I'm an atheist. He's like, no, no, no. Everybody believes in something. He's like, you're, you're, you're defining, you're telling me what you don't know or don't believe in he's like i'm just curious about what you actually really are confident in like what do you know and this guy was like well i can tell you that i i i'll tell you what i believe in he goes i i I believe in i'm very confident in the way i love my children and so he's like well describe that to me and he's like well it feels to me it feels like something that is all consuming and it um it's something that i would lay lay my life down for like i would i would take a bullet for these for my kids like i wouldn't think twice about it he said, where do you feel it? He's like, in the depth, the core of my being, like in my cheek, I pointed to his chest. He's like, it's in the core of my being. He's like, so wait a minute, let me get this straight. You you have, like you believe in this all-consuming love and it, it and you feel it coming from the, like like emanating from the depths of your being and it's self-sacrificial. Like you would, you would lay down your life for them and it's, and you carry that within your own being. He's like, absolutely. He's like, you feel very confident in that. He's like, Absolutely. And he's like, I don't think we're that different because <laughs> I, <laughs> I I have the same thing too. I just may use different terminology to describe that love, but um, but that yeah, the, the like so it's just interesting that this atheist who could not have faith in God because it was coming from a maybe some doctrinal or some theological proposition place when he was able to 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 really be rooted in his being, he could be very certain without even. Like it was like a no brainer. It was like, yeah, I can be certain. So I feel like coming back to love is like, that's where you, that's where the knowing and the authority can be very, it's a certainty, but it's not a dogmatic doctrinal certainty. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I agree with that. I think it's important to clarify those, those differences. Like, are we, are we certain about God or are we certain about theology? Because the two are different. Our doctrines are never God. And if right. we're certain in what we believe about God, then it leaves no faith to have, it leaves no room to have faith in God. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we've, you know, gosh, we've, we have touched on this, these kinds of themes over the course of this podcast, you know, like the idea that my beliefs are not me. I am not my beliefs. Like that, first of all, that's a separate thing. My, my, what I believe is not who I am. Um, and so therefore right. you can attack my belief or you question my belief. You should be able to, and that shouldn't offend me or make me angry because that's, you're not attacking me. You're attacking an idea or a thought that I happen to have. But it's also, like you said, my beliefs and my doctrines and my theology, which is just a bigger word for my belief, uh, 
mm-hmm. not only is that not me, that's not God either. That's my ideas right. about God, which can be wrong. You know, and I, I wanted to say something about even the beauty of mystery. Like, so, you know, we've talked a lot about certainty and knowing and all that stuff. But see, I, I think there is so much beauty in embracing the, what we don't know, embracing the fact that God is bigger and wider and longer and deeper and better and, uh, and more amazing than we could possibly imagine. Like, I love the mystery of God. Now, under, but I also understand I've encountered Christians that that scares the crap out of them. The idea that there's so much about God they don't know, like that mystery that, so in other words, like I take comfort in that I don't, in all that I don't know about God. But for some people, they take comfort in what they think they do know about God, right? Which is why they get upset if you start poking it. But but I'm the opposite. I like, I think it's amazing that when I start thinking about the fact that there is more of God to know than I know. Like way more. Like if I just think about what, right. what is it even I think I know about God? Like I, I could just make a list, right? Make a little bullet list of it. And I look at that list of things I think I know about God. Even things like, I'll just go in and say I'm certain, even if I'm not. Like, okay, yeah, it's just maybe 10, 20 things. You know, how long can that list be? And then realize that, you know what though? There's a list, um, a hundred thousand million, you know, miles high of things that I, about God I do not know. Um, and and I, to me, I take comfort in that. I think it's awesome. I, I think I would rather spend time pondering the mystery of God. Because again, any God, any God that you can understand, that you can wrap your brain around, I would submit that's not God. That's not the God of the universe. It's not, he's not a God that you can completely, fully comprehend. And so, yeah, I, I love mystery. I think it's wonderful. I think it, to me, it's good news that there's mystery. Right. Yeah, I agree. And, and it's Brad Jerzak that points out like in Ephesians 3, like the love of God is always wider and broader. So there's always going to be a bit of mystery, isn't yep. there? Like we think we had got God's love wrapped up and it's like, oh, but there's still, you're still not quite there because it's always wider and always broader and always higher and deeper than, than, than you think it yep. is. Um, and another thing that I was thinking about when you were set, when you, when you were, um, when you were talking, Keith, is I always find it fascinating and interesting and ironic that many many folks w- would say well you're just not understanding god because god's ways are higher than our ways and then they'll tell you exactly what god is like <laughs> and i always thought that's really funny well god's ways are higher and let me tell you what right. it is <laughs> it's like what <laughs> yeah well even that's even that phrase you know like when they people quote that you know it's always in the con at least to me this is how uh, 90% of the time, if, a, if another Christian tells me, Keith, you don't understand something, God's ways are higher than our ways, it's usually to justify their view that God is violent. Right. But, but if you go and read the verses that were, were, that were, were references that, God is saying, my ways are higher than yours in the sense of, I am more merciful than you think I am. I am more merciful, exactly. <laughs> I'm more loving and patient than you think I am. Yes. My ways are not like your ways because your ways are impatient and violent. And my ways yeah. are not that. It's I am better than you think I am, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> and that I would say, I agree with that verse. I don't agree with your misapplication of that verse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think it comes down to what you're identifying with as self. So, for example, when we say God's ways are higher than our ways, I think. I um I think that's a, a contrast between when we say our ways and then God's ways as if there's 
a distinction there. It's it's talking. I I think it's about the ego self or the construct of our mind. So, for example, when Paul says, you know, okay, this is my prayer for you guys. When in his letter, and I think it's in Ephesians when he says, you know, that you may know the depths and the breadth and the height and the width of this love. And so, like, how would you know? the depths and the breadth and the width and the height, it, like it surpasses all, like this love that surpasses all knowledge. Like, how would you know that? It's because there's really two, like two parts of you that are experiencing this. There's the, there's the mind part that goes, okay, this is beyond my mind. We, we do it all the time when we go, that blows my mind. Like that just goes beyond my mind right. because what, so who's, who's the one saying that? You know what I mean? Like, like it's not your mind that's saying that. It's another part of you that's going, this goes beyond. And you're experiencing it. You're feeling it. It's the truest essence of you. And you're going, whoa, this is, or when we read the scripture and God says, my ways are higher than your ways, we go, yeah, oh my gosh, that is. But we're also agreeing with that. So there's a part of us that actually is in congruency and on the same page with God's ways. And th- that's where the distinction between God and self gets gets blurred, which I think it should, because when we're operating from our true self, that's the divine self that is in total flow and congruency and not in conflict with, with the divine. And so that's where this true certainty, a healthy certainty can come from, which I really see Jesus operating from. And again, my belief is that we are all like Jesus in that sense, that when we stop identification, there's an over identification with the mind, with the self. And that mind is like, that's where we get into problems because the true essence, like the mind is a useful tool, but it's not who we are. Like who we truly are is who we are at our essence. And I think that's such an important distinction to make. Yeah. Can I, can I, um, what you said reminds me of a John Calvin quote. Can I quote Calvin on this show? Oh gosh. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's, it's a good quote. It's a great quote. Listen, All right. Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two precedes and give birth to the other. Yeah. I just just like that quote, and I like the irony of it because I'm not a Calvinist, but I just think like, yeah, this, this whole... This this whole business of knowing God and knowing ourselves, like how can we how can we distinguish between the two fully? Because mm. it really becomes mm-hmm. blurred. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been a good one, guys. Um, I, I think uh, yeah. this has been a really good, solid conversation, and hopefully, you know, it's gotten some people thinking along these lines, and hopefully, challenging some some of their preconceptions as well. And um, yeah, I don't know. You guys have any last thoughts about it? No, I'm certain that this was a good one. I am certain. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> okay. There's no doubt in my mind. <laughs> and, and I'm certain that you guys should go buy my book. I'm certain about that. Yeah. <laughs> Which you can get on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Yeah. And it's, it's, only, it's only 99 cents, people. Come on. <laughs> yes. And there's a hotline, too. So don't forget that we have a hotline. That's right. Does anyone have the number? I'm, I'm not certain of it right now. <laughs> I, I have I have faith that it's two four zero three heresy or two four zero three four three seven three seven nine. It could be wrong. I'm fairly certain though. <laughs>